So, hello, East Glenville Church. Um, I'm speaking into my computer and I'm hoping that this is working. And I am looking at Steve Blaze's uh, text chat to make sure. So I'm gonna act on faith, believing um, my, my family who's watching in the living room just gave me the A-OK. -okay. So awesome. I, I can't believe um, this technology was, uh, and let's us do this. So I'm thankful I could be here with you to, 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 to engage the word. Um, otherwise we just have Jeff, you know, make up something. Um, but, uh, thank you for reading the scripture, Jeff. So, um, this morning I want to deal with this, all of revelation four and five and kind of finalizing our sermon series on what it was God was doing in the incarnation and sending Jesus and this is going to be a completely different angle. So, um, so here we go. I want to start off by asking, um, do you have a favorite music that you've seen? So like one that you saw and you say, I, everyone has to see this musical. Everyone should, should be able to, to watch this somehow. I, my family went to see the Nutcracker down at Proctor's and I haven't had a chance to go there, but I'm hoping that, that maybe they'll have some really interesting musicals uh, come up there that I could see in person. Um, the one that comes to mind for me that I saw on Disney Plus was Hamilton. I thought it was a genius piece of work and I would love to see that one myself. But do you have one, a musical that just like you would want everyone to see it. And in a musical, you have these songs and the songs have kind of a dual purpose. One is the songs engage you emotionally. So the, the song has to, to move your heart in some way. But the song also in a musical tells a story progression. It moves the plot line along. And so I want to approach our passage today, Revel covering Revelation four and five, and think of it as a musical drama in, in the throne room of heaven. And there are five songs that are sung as worship songs around the throne. And so we're going to look at each one of these songs and then also how they tell the story, how they move a progression along and say something. And so that's the focus this morning. The first thing to understand is these songs use representational language. So Revelation uses representational language very much so throughout the whole book. Um, and a rep representational language means it uses a visual illustration to make a spiritual point, to e emphasize a spiritual truth. So for example, one of the clearest ones is that it always speaks of Jesus in Revelation as having a sword coming out of his mouth. Now, in a literal sense, that would be hugely awkward and not really effective, right? It, it's not talking literally, it's talking representationally. The sword represents his teaching. It's coming out of his mouth because it is through Jesus' teaching, his word, it's Jesus' word by which 
he he brings the kingdom on earth. He's he's unlike any other king. Most kings have their sword in their hand to smite their enemies. The sword of Jesus comes through his teaching, his his word. And that is the power of the kingdom on earth. So that's an example of representational language. So let's get started. It, the Revelation chapter four starts with this. Um, John, it says, after this, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. John is given a, a vision of, um, John is given a vision of what he will, I'm sorry, I, I want to, I'm being asked something that might help the, the live stream. Um, I'm not sure I could do what they're asking, so I'm sorry. That's my response. Um, so John is taken up into heaven, and now the voice of Jesus calls him into, through this open door, into God's presence, into the throne room of heaven where there is one seated on the throne. And even that, it's saying something, right? The, the door is open. Earlier in Revelation, it talked about how Jesus had the key, um, the keys to, the, to the, the, the kingdom through which he has opened the door and it is his voice that calls people into God's presence. And John is invited into this, this throne room of heaven and, and he's going to report on what he sees. And it talks about the first thing he sees is, it says, at once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. John is barely able to, to describe, not really able to describe God Almighty. You know, it's see, he sees God Almighty there in that, that throne room. And that's what he's just, he's called God Almighty, all powerful, the one with all might and power. And that's, um, and he's seated on the throne. And, and so from here on out, John just says, to the one seated on the throne. God, John can see, but he cannot describe what God is like. So he, he gives some, a little pictures. He talks about these various precious metals, uh, gems, Jasper, Carnelian, you know, God is like this, but it doesn't really capture. Mostly what John does is he describes what's taking place around the throne. And so if you kind of read Revelation 4, it talks about the, the light and the flashes of light and, and the crystal sea. And it's just this amazing, beautiful image and awesome beauty and power and sound and smell. There's burning torches, like just the whole, whole of it would be too much to capture. It made me think about something. We, um, my wife and I went to a conference at Disney not too long ago. And they, at Disney at night had, they called it Rivers of Light. It was at the Animal Kingdom Park. And they have this little pond. And they did this amazing show with lasers and dancing and lights and fire. And, and they would spray um, these huge, things of water over the pond and then project upon the the spray of water scenes and images a lot of them from other disney movies and it's just an amazing spectacle and you know sight sound they all made it they all it all gelled together what i'm thinking of is that what is taking place in the heavenly throne room 
would make Disney's best production look like nothing. Like a million times greater will be the, the awesome display of light and sound and beauty around the throne of God. And to connect this to our idea that we're doing this, this memorial service, we're remembering our, our brothers and sisters in Christ who, who this year have, have left this life and have entered into Jesus' presence. They, I believe now they are beholding what we're describing in, in this, this chapters. They are seeing this musical drama take place in heaven. Talks later about the souls under the altar who are there safe in the arms of Jesus, safe under the care of, of Christ because of his, his work and beholding in this vision. Sometimes it's called the, the beatific vision, the blessed vision. And from there, we who are in Christ will await the ultimate return of Christ when he sets up the eternal kingdom on earth and we are resurrected into bodies again and can see much more things, but in that time, we will see this musical, beautiful musical drama. So that's going on. And, and uh, so it's describing God. And then we get to the participants around the throne. And there, there's two groups of participants. One is the 24 elders. And these are clothed in white with golden crowns. And we're going to say more about them in a little bit, the other participant are these living creatures, they're called, or in Greek, it's the zoa. Um, these, these zoa or zoan, they, they each are, they have six wings. They are covered in eyes. And each has a different face of a different animal. So you have the lion, the ox, uh, one is a man, like a man, and one is an eagle. And so, in a sense, four different types of creatures, nob the noblest, you know, the lion, the kingly, the ox, the strength, man is, is knowledge and wisdom, the eagle soars in above it all. And so, altogether, these Zoa represent creation, the world of life made by God, right? That That's... Think, when you think zoa, the zoans, it's think of the word zoo, right? Zoology, the study of, of animal life. These, these zoan, they, they, the eyes are all over saying because nature can see all things. Um, and so what do they sing? What's their song? So we get to the first song and it's the simplest of songs. The, the living creatures sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty who was and is and is to come. It's saying a couple of things about God. First of all, it says, when it says God is holy, and it says it three times in a row to, to emphasize that he's utterly holy, it's saying that God is not a part of this created world. God is something other. God is beyond, above. He is transcendent. You cannot craft God from the stuff of this earth. God is above and stands outside the created world. This is in contrast to the gods of the ancient world. Those gods were a part of the world. They, you know, the God of the sea, the God of lightning, the God, Yahweh, the, the God almighty is above and transcendent. That's why God forbade his people to make an image of him 
out of anything in this world because God cannot be described by anything in this world. He is holy, holy, holy. And then it also says something else. It says God is eternal. He was and is and is to come. God exists before time. God stands outside of time. We can hardly imagine that because we are within time. We, we, we exist experiencing time within this, this, this creation. We can't imagine what it would be like to be outside of time. But that is God's existence. He was before things. He'll be there at the end of things. He stands outside of the timeline in which we live. So God is holy, God is eternal. This is actually connected, if you, if you consider what the Apostle Paul talked about in Romans chapter 1. And he's talking about what should we know about God just from the created world? If all we had was creation, what could we know? And Paul says this in Romans 1. He says, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So by the things that have been made, the uh, the created world, we can know two things about God. He's eternal, his eternal power, and his divine nature, that God is outside this world and that God is eternal. It's saying the same thing as we see in, in Revelation 4. And who is declaring that? the living creatures who represent God's creation, the things that have been made. So that's song number one. Song number one spurs song number two. When the 24 elders hear song number one, it leads them to respond. And it says they cast down their golden crowns around the glassy sea, and they begin to sing their song of worship to God. And so who are the 24 elders and what do they sing? The 24 elders, the, the number is significant, right? 24 is 12 twice. There were 12 patriarchs, 12 sons of Israel that became the, the people of Israel, the tribes of Israel. So 12 of them represent the Old Testament people of God. Then there were 12 apostles. They represent the New Testament people of God. And so together, the 24 elders represent the people of God throughout the entire scriptures, throughout throughout God's claiming of his people. And they are united in worship. They are spurred to worship when God's people recognize that God has made this world. They sing. And so what do they sing? Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. So God is worthy, but why is he worthy? For you created all things. So the people of God observe the the natural world we live in, and they can deduce and understand from that that there is a God, a creator. Our Lord and God is the one who created all things. So that's one of the things this song is saying. There's something else that's maybe a little more subtle. It says, and by your will, they existed and were created. Now that seems to be just saying the same thing again in a different way, right? By your will, they were cre- you know, God created. 
but there's there's a little a little more to this it's saying that god is personal that god um made a choice that the that god has agency he chose to create so he designed the universe and that's saying that that the universe and life is not just a series of fortunate accidents we didn't universe just didn't pop into existence from nothing life didn't just spring out of nowhere the the first cell uh it's just even the simplest of biological cells are so complex there's no way it could have self formed as sometimes some scientists try to argue for but but they can't show how it could ever happen and i think increasingly scientists are seeing that that even the simplest life form could not have of organized on its own there had to be an outside agent that put it together life has a designing agent to it um but this is not just saying that it's saying more than that. it's saying that god is personal rather than impersonal an impersonal deity it's theoretically possible it, if you want to try to imagine what an impersonal deity would be like think of star wars the force right the force is an example of an impersonal deity uh, you know it's a power that if you're just tuned in the right way you can draw upon you can draw upon it for for dark or for light for evil for good it's this generalized power that exists in the universe that is not the god we worship the god we worship is personal he has agency he desires righteousness he he in fact he's so personal this is what we talk about Christmas, right? He's so personal, he humbled himself and came into our midst in the flesh as a person, as a baby. God is so personal, he sent his one and only son into our midst so we can see what his person is like. That is the Christmas message we've been looking at. And, and so that leads us to the next thing. So, so speaking of Jesus... He's not yet shown up in this drama. So far, it has been about God Almighty, which we can think of as God as the Father, right? So, but in verse five, chapter five, verse one, there's a shift takes place and it introduces the plot within this drama in the heavenly realms. And it, the plot is dependent upon the scroll with seven seals. So there's the scroll. And again, representational language. The scroll represents God's long-term plan for rede the redemption of humanity, the salvation of, of people. And, and so by, you know, as the scroll is opened at the you know, end of Revelation, we see the fulfillment of God's people living with God in the eternal kingdom. That's where the scroll ends up. And so we have the scroll and they call out, um, it says an angel proclaims in a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? So who's able to fulfill God's plan of redemption? That's, that's the question. Who is able, who's worthy to do this? And verse three says, and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll 
into in or look into it. If you were with, with us last week, I talked about how no human could fulfill God's salvation plan. And then I also talked about how no angel or being in heaven could, could fulfill God's salvation plan. No one on earth, no one in heaven, no one under the earth could do it. Only the Son. And in verse 4, it says, John begins to weep loudly because no one is worthy. The, the problem of how we're stuck in this situation and we can't fix it ourselves. And then he's told, weep no more. The Lion of Judah has come, the Root of David. These are messianic titles. They're referring to Jesus. They're referring to him specifically in the role of Messiah. He's the, the one descended from King David who, who was sent by God as the Messiah. It says he is able to do what no one else could. He is the one who is worthy to open the scroll. And, and this is the, the drama. Th this is how the plot is resolved when the Lion of David appears. And it's interesting as John is told, behold, look, a lion. But what does he see? He sees not a lion, but a lamb. In fact, a lamb who had been slain. How will God enact salvation plan? Would it be through military might, the lion being the power to earth? No. He is the lion. He does conquer, but he conquers in the way of a lamb, a lamb who was slain, who gave his life. The lion conquered um, not by exerting divine authority and power, not by smiting his enemies, not by his jaws and teeth, Instead, he, he conquered by freely offering his life as a sacrifice for sin, a sacrifice for our guilt. Therefore, because of that, he is worthy to take the scroll, to fulfill the work of redemption, to save God's people. And, and now that he's done that, that leads to song number three. So the drama that's taking place the, the next song moves that forward and starting verse nine. Um, now this time, the song is sung by both the, the living creatures, the Zoa, and the 24 elders together. Together they sing, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. So, so there's three things, three truths that this song brings out. Um, note, first of all, though, who's it sung to? It's not sung to God Almighty like the first two songs in chapter four. Now it's singing it to the Lamb. Worthy are you. It's singing to the Lamb. So now you can think of it this way. Jesus is being worshipped alongside God the Father, God Almighty. Now in the drama of heaven, Jesus is included in the worship. And, and for these three reasons. One is Jesus gave his life for our salvation. By your blood, you ransomed people for God. 
Jesus was willing to offer his life as a sacrifice. The second truth is the Lord is able to save any that put their faith in him. You know, from, from every tribe, language, people, nation, it, it's made clear that any, whether they were Jewish of background or not, um, non-Jew, people of all nations, can enter into the salvation relationship with God through Jesus. He's able to save any who put their faith in him. And then the third truth is that he is the rightful king. Verse 10 and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. They, meaning the people of God, the people who trust in Jesus. So he's made them a kingdom. He, he takes those who believe in him, and they become part of the kingdom of God on earth, the kingdom that's growing and growing as more and more people say yes to Jesus and allow his rule to work in their life. This is the gospel message. Song number three is, is the gospel, that Jesus gave his life, that we can have salvation in him, and that we affirm him. He's our Lord. He's the king. He's the, he's the one, and he works through us as part of his kingdom. That is the gospel. That's, that is the gospel song. So the, the, the people of God, in our worship, we are proclaiming the gospel. We're proclaiming this message. And when we do, it spurs more things. So song number three spurs song number four. So the fourth song is, is sung by, it says, myriads and myriads of angels. Myriad, uh, one myriad is a, an uncountable number. Like you, for in the Greek language, if you saw a big army, it'd be like, oh, that's a myriad of people. It's with too many to count. But myriads upon myriads, is like a really uncountable number. And, you know, thousands upon thousands. It's, it's, it's this, God, God has more going than we can imagine. He, God is the creator. He created these divine beings, these angelic beings. And who, who but knows? We can't count what, what God has planned. But, but all of these, these, these divine beings, these, these angelic beings, um, they are spurred they by the message of the gospel to praise themselves and so they sing the fourth song they affirm that, that the lamb that jesus is worthy of worship worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing they're affirming the gospel there's some kind of connection. It, 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 you see it. It, it. I don't know if we fully can understand it. There's some kind of connection between the worship of the believers in Christ. When we worship, something is spurred in the heavenly realms among the angels. There's hints of it. Jesus made that connection in Luke 15. He says, when one sinner repents, when just one sinner repents, there is great rejoicing. In the heavenly realms. Um, 1 Corinthians 11. Paul is talking about how to do worship in the right way. It's, it's a confusing passage. But he makes this offhand comment. It says doing worship in the right way because of the angels. And see, I believe the angels are attendant upon our worship. When we gather, um, ideally in person, 
and not just on a screen, when we gather, um, there's more happening in the room than we realize that, that heaven is moved in our worship, in our praise, in our declaration of the gospel. Um, so that was the fourth song. The, the, the praise of God's people is being affirmed by the angelic host of heaven. And then that spurs the fifth song. And this one is sung, it says, by every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And then it, it's, it's, again, rather simple. To him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. So note, the first two songs were sung to God Almighty. Songs three and four were sung to the lamb. And this, the fifth song now is directed to the one who sits on the throne, God Almighty, and to the Lamb. Father and Son together are worshipped um, by all, every creature on heaven and on earth. The gospel, the good news, the outworking of God's salvation plans has an effect. More and more of creation is being affected. The kingdom of God is breaking out into the world. More and more people are responding to the message. More and more are being added to the number. You get to Revelation 7, 9. It talks about this ever-growing multitude from every tribe and people and language who are singing to, to Jesus, salvation belongs to our God. Um, and, and it's saying that the universe is headed in a direction. This, this musical that's taking place in heaven is not over yet. This is not something that happened once. It's not something that will happen in the future. It, it is, it's the, the, the ongoing drama in the heavenly realms. And when we gather in worship in person here on earth, we're adding to the song. And we're adding to the effect of the song. That is God's grace, more are joining the song every day. And so I, 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 I love this passage. I love Revelation 4 and 5. And it leads me to ask you this. Do you agree that God Almighty and Jesus are worthy of worship? They are worth your time and attention and your focus at least once a week. You know, if you see a musical or a movie or something and you, you think it's great, you say everyone should see this and you get excited to tell others how good it is. How much more should we have that attitude in our worship? That, that, this, that, that God, our Father, and Jesus, our Savior, they are worthy of being worshiped. And, and everyone should, should hear this. Everyone should understand this. And I just want to close by asking you a question. I want you to think about this. What gets in the way of our worship? What gets in the way of your worship? Has something hindered you from fully engaging in worship lately? I realize with the challenge of COVID um, that there are times, you know, I'm not speaking about those who need to keep their distance during this time. I mean, the irony is I'm, I'm speaking from a distance myself because I'm not I, it's potentially I, I have, have been exposed to COVID. 
Um, so I, I understand we're, we're doing what we have to do in these times, but is there something beyond that that's hindering your worship, keeping you um, from gathering with God's people? It is vital that God's people gather even as best we can in these situations. It's vital that we sing the, together the message of a savior who is worthy of our worship. And I was thinking about what, what might get in the way. Sometimes what happens is other interests get in the way and we get distant from God. Something else gets a hold of our hearts and Jesus gets pushed to the side. We start to take God's love for granted Yes, I know God loves me. And we start to feel less urgent about loving him back and about declaring his goodness to us. Jesus starts to take a back seat. He gets, we feel distant from God. That, that can get in the way of our worship. Secondly, the cares of this life can get in the way of our worship. We get distracted. There are so many things we have to do. Modern life is complicated. I think of what Jesus said to Martha at one time. He says, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. We can get so caught up in the cares of this life, the duties, the things, the things we have to do. But we need to remember one thing is needed. Our relationship with Christ, that connection we have to our, our loving Father is the most vital thing. It is the thing that, that, that is above all else. And then the third thing that can get in our way of our worship is the struggles of this world. We get discouraged. Life got hard. Maybe you're going through a time where you're not sure you can pray, let alone praise God with a joyful heart. I mean, sometimes Sometimes the best we can do, and maybe this is you right now, sometimes the best you can do is show up, right? You're not in the mood to come to worship. You're not in the mood to praise God, but you show up anyways. Do you know God honors that? That that's important. When, when, when you worship, when you don't feel like it, that actually says more than worshiping amidst the, the joyfulness that, that comes in that. You know, it's when you make the decision, kind of um, kind of like Job did. He says, you know, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. If you, if you present yourself to God saying, look, Lord, I'm here and I need you to do the rest. The good news is that his spirit is at work and can be at work in our heart to lead us where we need to be. What has gotten in the way? What might get in the way of your worship? We know and we affirm this morning that God Almighty and his son Jesus Christ are worthy of all our worship, worthy of every song we have to sing. And he's worth setting aside our to-do list. He's worth setting aside our thoughts about lunch. He's worth, because, um, and I know you're thinking about lunch. I know, I understand. He's, he's worth turning our phone off. He's worth the inconveniences of, of getting to worship. He's worth all of that. He is worthy. 
Worthy is the one who's seated on the throne and worthy is the lamb. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we do love you. We do thank you that, that you are worthy of, of all of our worship and all of our love and all of our, 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 our hearts, um, our hearts energy. Father, so we give that worship to you this morning and we offer it to you in Jesus' name. May you receive it with joy and may you fill our hearts with your spirit that when we go from this place, we would go in, in your, your saving grace. Amen. Amen. Please Thank you, friends, for um, putting up with this um, different way of, of giving the sermon. I hope it, it's still connected with you all. Hopefully we'll be back to normal in the next few weeks. But um, God's grace be with you. And uh, yeah, continue in worship.